Well, today we are wrapping up our series called Finding or Becoming. And so over the last several weeks together, we have been talking about relationships and specifically romantic relationships. We've been talking about dating and we've been talking about the idea of marriage. And we've said that in all those relationships, um, we've been asking this question, are you the person, the person you're looking for is looking for? And we said the reason this is such an important question is because of something that's true in so many different areas of life, but uh, it's something that for some reason we just don't really think a whole lot about when it comes to romance and especially when it comes to marriage. And and that's the fact that what it is that we do now, um, that can either set us up for success in our future or what we do now actually sets us up for failure in our future. And so last week we talked about some very practical things that each of us can actually be doing now um, that will help set us up for future success in our relationships and especially in our marriages. Now, if today is your first time with us or if this is your first time in a long time, then um, you're kind of coming in at the very tail end of the movie today. And so um, if you're sitting here with us and you're watching or you're watching or listening um, and you feel like, hey, I I think I kind of missed some things, it's okay. You just missed a couple of things. But listen, you can always go to our channel on YouTube and you can catch up on whatever parts of this series that you've missed or any series that you may want to share with somebody else. Now, um, this whole series has really been geared towards single people, right? So students, um, young adults, people who are single, people who are single again, people who are dating or people who want to date are thinking about dating. And in this series, we've really covered some uh, some pretty significant uh, as well as um, some subjects that Um, To be honest, a lot of times really don't get talked about very fully, uh, especially in a setting like this, especially in a church setting, uh, because they can just be awkward sometimes and they can be a little bit difficult um, to talk about. And so consequently, uh, many of us end up as adults um, where we have situations and, and the truth is we just didn't know. Uh, because we weren't told, nobody explained it to us, and so we didn't know the results of maybe some decisions that we've made until some very, very negative consequences end up showing up long-term in our relationships. And uh, today's subject certainly falls into that category, because today uh, I want to talk very specifically to single people about the subject uh, of sex. And what I want to say today about sex is something that I think, honestly, um, is kind of intuitive, Uh, But for some reason, um, this is something our culture never talks about. You never hear this advertised. Um, Nobody ever, you don't hear about this out in in popular culture anywhere. Um, And and I don't know exactly why that is other than to say that um, I think a lot of our our culture just doesn't find this idea um, very very interesting. Um, And and so, um, uh, honestly, if you miss this, if you miss what we're going to talk about together today, uh, and, and this isn't an exaggeration, but if you miss this, this whole big idea, um, you really set yourself up for just extraordinary, extraordinary hurt and disappointment later in, in your life. And so I just want to help everybody, um, everybody just avoid, avoid, avoid this landmine, um, if at all possible. Um, there are married people who are here in this room and who are watching online today and listening online today who at the end of this message will think to themselves, okay, I wish... I wish, I wish, I wish somebody would have talked about this. I wish somebody would have explained this to me earlier in my life. And so um, the the, kind of the the myth that I want to just spend a few minutes today um, taking apart and hopefully just ripping apart um, is this idea that sex um, is only physical. 
right? Sex is just, it's only physical. Like in other words, um, if, if nobody gets hurt and nobody gets pregnant and everybody is agreeing, right, then kind of, you know, have fun, do whatever, um, because when it's over, it's over and you just kind of move on and, and get on um, with your life. Um, but the truth is, and again, I think all of us kind of know this intuitively, um, right? Sex is not um, just physical. Um, the truth is actually that sex is also spiritual, Okay, and, and let me just be very, very clear about this. And if this is a, a brand new idea for you today, um, for you today, th- then I want to be as clear as I can. Um, listen, if you treat sex as though it's only physical, you hurt yourself. And eventually, um, if, you, if and when you get married, that hurt can actually follow you into your marriage. Um, and, and married people um, will tell you that hurt doesn't just go away automatically because you get married someday. Right? And, and single people, you need to know that our world is actually filled with, with married people um, that are experiencing the hurt and the pain and the consequences now uh, of sexual decisions uh, that they've made earlier in their life. Um, and, and their relationship now or their marriage now is actually suffering. Um, and and they, are, they are struggling to connect the dots as to why that is. And so um, today, um, t- to the best of my ability, I just want to try to connect some dots for you. Um, and, and please know um, that I'm doing this because I love you, and I, I'm doing this because I, I want to help you to find um, healing, and I want you to find hope, um, and, and you don't have to, um, you, you, this doesn't have to be your story, and I, and I don't want it to be your story. Um, I, I don't want you to, to feel the pain of, of regret. We're going to talk about that a little bit more um, in, in a moment. Um, but uh, the way I want to connect these dots um, this could be a little hard, I'll just be honest, because if your background uh, is anything like mine, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, um, if you're a survivor like I am of a violent sexual crime, um, then I just want to be honest, these questions could be a little hard, um, but um, if that is you, then you get permission, you get to decide whether or not you want to stay here today. Uh, if you would choose to leave, you're welcome to leave. You can listen out in the lobby or you can catch us online and you can listen at a different time. I hope that you stay um, simply because um, I think this will be helpful for you, um, but you get the choice, okay? You get the choice. You get to leave and do this later if you would prefer. Um, so here's, here's the questions, and I just want you to, no hands, right? I just want you to think about these questions um, for a minute. Why is it that when someone is abused sexually and they begin to connect the dots about what it is that actually happened to them in the past and they realize what happened in the past, why is it um, that what happened is so incredibly difficult to deal with? Why is it that being hurt physically is nothing, nothing at all like being hurt sexually? Why is that? Why is it that oftentimes when a person is hurt sexually, um, that they will not only keep that uh, hurt a secret, um, but not only feel like it's difficult to tell somebody else about what happened to them, but so many times um, live with this overwhelming feeling that they can't, they, they just can't tell anyone what happened to them? Why is it that as a pastor or as a counselor or even as a friend, Um, Whenever somebody stops me and says, hey, I want to talk to you about something that I've been carrying for a long time and I I just need to talk to somebody, I just need to tell someone what's going on, why is it that I automatically, right, automatically know 
that it's something that has to do with sexuality or sexual behavior. Now, um, the truth is, all those questions, right, are big, uh, difficult questions. Um, but the answer to those questions, right, the answer to those questions um, is actually relatively simple. Uh, because sex, right, is not um, just physical, right? It's not just physical. But see, every single one of us, we all live in a culture and in a world um, that wants to make sex simple, wants to make sex um, surface, right, and wants to make sex strictly physical. But the truth is, in our hearts and in our guts and even in our past life experience, eventually we come crashing into this reality that it's not just physical. And to treat it as though it is, um, it is going to result in us hurting ourselves. Tone change. Um, how many of you have heard of uh, the name Stradivarius before? Right, Stradivarius, right? A couple familiar. So Antonio Stradivari and the Stradivarius family are very famous for crafting in the 1700s um, a whole series of uh, exquisite musical instruments. They lived in Cremona, Italy in the 1700s. And when uh, he and his family first began making these amazing, amazing uh, musical instruments, the sound quality and the tone of these instruments was so unique and so uncomparable to anything else that they were often described as possessing a, a supernatural quality. Now, throughout, literally throughout the centuries, um, since that time, craftsmen and, and luthiers have tried um, desperately to, to duplicate that sound and that tone, and, and they've never ever um, been able to duplicate it. And so consequently, um, those instruments, these instruments are um, very valuable. Um, they're, they're very sought after, as you can imagine, and they are also um, very, very fragile. Um, and so I want to ask a question. Um, uh, by chance, uh, do we have any, any musicians um, in the front here, a few rows? Anyone, anyone who plays a musical instrument, you want to raise your hand for me for um, just a minute? A little bit? Okay, how about what, what do you play? Trumpet. Come on down for a second. Have you ever, have you ever held, is that Kyle, is that you? Come on down here in front. Have you ever held a Stradivarius? No? Okay, tell you what, just hang out right there. <laughs> now, when you're done, after you look at it, if you want to pass that around maybe to some other people in that section, and when they're done looking at it, um, would you just kind of throw it under one of the seats and I'll grab it afterwards? How's that sound? That sounds good. Would anybody actually do that? Thank you. Would anybody actually do that, right, with a Stradivarius? <laughs> do you understand that you live and we live in a culture and in a world um, that's trying to convince us to do that with our sexuality and with our soul every single day? Do you understand how much more incredibly valuable you are to your heavenly father than that piece of wood and glue and string? Do you have any idea how much more fragile your soul is than that wood and glue and string? See, all that can be replaced. 
right? You, you, you cannot be replaced. And, and see, the thing that, that makes sex and sexuality so much more than just simply uh, physical is because God created sex and God designed sex and God actually gave sex um, to humanity as an expression of, of this little word um, that we, we use and we hear about so often in our world, um, this word intimacy um, right here, but it, it gets used so poorly and it's so poorly misunderstood because the truth is intimacy is all about knowing and being known. Right? That's what intimacy is all about. And so, um, and if you, and think about this for a minute, if you believe that God um, was involved in any way at all, at any level in creating humanity and creating life, right, then that means that when God um, created sex and when he gave sex to humanity, um, he said that this wasn't going to just be about creating more humans, it wasn't going to simply be about procreation, um, that this was to be uh, something that would be experienced between two people, that would uh, be a reflection of what our Heavenly Father would one day want each of us to actually experience with Him. Right? That it was to be um, th this incredible expression and experience of intimacy, right? Of passionate, fearless, no fear of criticism, right? No, no fear of comparison, um, oneness. Right? That would be like unlike, un unlike anything else, unlike anything else that any of us could ever experience in this world. And so consequently, it would be powerful. And consequently, yes, it, it, it's going to be unique. And, and, uh, and God said, yeah, I'm giving this to, to humanity as a gift. But precisely because it is powerful and precisely because it is unique, it is also fragile. It's so fragile. And so handle it with care. And there are married people all over our world today who truthfully are numb, right? They, they are numb to the intimacy that was actually designed to go along with sex. Married people, right, who, who didn't understand all this because nobody explained it to them, nobody told them about this. People now who, because of habits they developed in their past, are absolutely numb to the intimacy that's supposed to be attached to, se to, to sexual activity. And even though they are, they're married, they can't actually find intimacy in sex. And so they wonder, okay, what's wrong with them? And they wonder what's wrong with their spouse. And so they begin to look outside of marriage because they think, okay, maybe I just married the wrong person. And they end up just repeating and increasing the pain. And the truth is, the real issue is that while they were single, nobody took the time to explain. Nobody took the time um, to, 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 to explain what the real issue was. And they believed the lie. That sex is just physical. That I can do whatever I want to with my body because after all, I mean, it is my body and it's nothing more than a bunch of biology. And someday, right, someday when I magically, mystically find the right person, then someday everything's just magically, mystically going to be all right. But it wasn't. Now, single people. That doesn't have to be your story. That does not have to be your story. Because God created sex and he gave it to you. And he gave it to you as a gift. And it is powerful. And it is fragile. And so it does require care. But when it's expressed and when it's actually used in its right context, it is absolutely beautiful and it is absolutely incredible. But you cannot buy the lie of culture 
and at the same time experience what your Heavenly Father actually intends for you to experience as it relates to sex and as it relates to your sexuality. Now, uh, the amazing thing about all this, okay, is not um, that the Bible speaks to this. In fact, the, the truth is at this point, I, I think you should kind of just assume that if we're talking about a subject in here, right, or in here, it's because God is actually saying something about it in here. And the amazing thing is not that God talks about sex in the pages of Scripture. The amazing thing is what God actually says about sex when you open up the pages of Scripture. Because 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul actually wrote everything that I just said. And in the pages of Scripture, we discover why it is that sexuality is so incredibly important, but at the same time, why it's so fragile. And listen, if you are not a follower of Jesus um, or, or if you kind of push back against the whole Christian morality thing, okay, I understand that. Um, and, and I'll tell you, I'm, I'm probably not going to be able to change your mind about any of this. And that's fine. That's fine. I just hope that you listen um, because I, I really want to just kind of create a new category of information for you today because um, I want to tell you something that you probably don't know and that you probably haven't been told before. Uh, and that's simply this, that historically speaking, religion has not advocated for marital fidelity. Okay, historically speaking, religion has not said that sex is, should only be between married people. Right? When Moses actually went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments from God, um, it's so important to understand this, none of the other cultures in the known world at that time, and especially none of the cultures surrounding ancient Israel, actually believed in the idea that marriage was only to, uh, sex was only to be between married people in, in marriage. They all rejected this whole idea of marital fidelity. And again, if you kind of push back against the ideas of God and church and the Bible, I understand all that. But just think about it this way for a minute. Let's say that you're Moses, right? Let's say that you're Moses. And you've convinced all these people that you're a prophet, right? That you're a prophet. But you know this whole thing is just a sham, right? And so you've told all these people that you're going to go up this mountain and you're going to get the law of God, right? Think about that, the law of God. And so they're expecting you to come back down off of this mountain with God's law, right? And you know you've made this whole thing up, but they don't know that, right? What in the world would you have come down with that mountain saying is the law of God as it relates to sex? Because you would not have said what Moses wrote, right? Because when Moses said this, right, nobody, nobody believed that sex was only to be between married people Sex was only to be between two people in the context of marriage. Nobody believed that. But when Moses came down off this mountain, Moses said this. Here's God's law as it relates to sex. He said it is one man, it is one woman for one lifetime. See, the truth is, you would not have written this if this was made up. You would have said what every other cult leader said. You would have said what every other religion says. Which is, in all of them, somehow that some guy finds a way of saying that he's allowed to have sex with as many women as he wants to, and that women are nothing more than commodities. But somehow Moses comes down off this mountain with this message, which was completely opposite of everything else in the known world at the time. And then Jesus comes along 1,500 years later, and he repeats and he reemphasizes this very same teaching. And then the Apostle Paul comes along after that, and he travels into all these cities around the Mediterranean rim, Philippi, Corinth, 
Ephesus, all these cities that are filled with Greek-thinking and Roman-thinking people. They're not Jewish at all. And he sees how these new followers of Jesus, he sees how they're using and how they're handling their sexuality. And he realizes, he realizes, okay, nobody's told them. Nobody's explained any of this to them. So how could they know? How could they know? Nobody's told them. So he begins to explain to them and teach them this teaching on sex and sexuality that, again, don't miss this, was in no way religious. Because religion at that time, especially in the Greek world and the Roman world, was not against sex outside of marriage. And so the Apostle Paul, right, he's not this narrow-minded religious guy. But he's someone who's trying to bring hope and healing to people who are broken and into a world that's just hurting desperately over this. And so he begins to teach them the truth about sex and sexuality. And so he writes this. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, flee from sexual immorality, right? Don't resist it, he says. Don't try to manage through it. No, he just simply says, flee from it, right? And then a little bit later on in chapter 7, he actually defines what sexual immorality is for us, and he tells us that it's sex outside of marriage, right? He defines it for us in the next chapter. And then what he says next is absolutely brilliant and it is completely unheard of and completely unique, especially at the time that it was written. He says this, flee from sexual immorality for all other sins that people commit, right? And so every other category of sin that people commit. And what he's about to say is what it is that we discovered by me asking you those questions earlier. What he's about to say is is this, that sexual sin is unlike any other sin, not because God hates it more, not because God's going to send you to hell for it, not because God's going to judge you more harshly for it, um, not because God's not going to forgive you for it. No, he's going to tell us that sexual sin is unlike any other sin because of the extent and the depth of the pain and the injury that it causes to both the offender and the offended. Listen to what he says. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins people commit are outside of their bodies. But those who sin sexually, this is why it's its own category, they actually sin against their own body. Right? See, see, and, and think about this. Isn't this what we would expect a God who loves us to actually explain to us that when you sin sexually, you hurt yourself. And not only do you hurt yourself, you actually hurt yourself at the deepest level imaginable. That this powerful, powerful thing that can be so incredibly and so extraordinarily, extraordinarily bonding within the context of marriage, it actually has the exact same power to turn your life upside down. That there is no category of sin like sexual sin when it comes to the ongoing consequence in a person's life. And he's saying this to a world that's broken and hurting because, again, he does, nobody knows. No one's taken the time to actually explain this to him. It's the same reason A couple of verses earlier, he says this. He says, do you not know? He asks them a rhetorical question. He knows they don't know. 
And, and what he says next is just shocking, right? It's shocking to us, and it was shocking to the people who first heard it. He says, do you not know that whoever unites themselves with a prostitute is one with them in body? And see, the interesting thing is this. Listen, eyes up here, okay? The thing that shocks us when we read or hear this is actually this word right here. Right? But this has nothing to do with what the Apostle Paul was actually talking about in the context of this verse. Because when the Apostle Paul wrote this, right, prostitution was normal. It was legal. This is why they built temples. Right? Religious worship, temple worship at that time was all about this taking place. That's what the temple was for. Right? That's why it was there. The thing that shocked these Corinthians was actually this little word right here. Right, because when, they, when the Apostle Paul wrote this and they read this, they were like, okay, time out, Paul, wait a second. You're using this word here that means like super glue. It means like intertwined. It, it means like, like bond. And, he goes, and, they, and they thought to themselves, listen, when I go to the, the temple and have sex, I'm not bonding with anybody. I'm not uniting with anybody. I'm just having sex. That's all it is. And the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I, I understand why you think that because nobody has actually explained this to you. But God actually designed um, sex in this way that, that it, would be, it would be permanent, that it was bonding, that there was a sense of permanence with this other person, that you actually become one with them, that God actually designed it this way, that you were designed to become one with one. But when you continue to become one with person after person after person, um, you damage, you actually damage, he is saying, your ability to experience intimacy. And you actually damage your ability to experience what God intended for you to experience. You, you disconnect sex from what it was intended for. And the result is that you become numb. And you'll wonder why your wife can't awaken this thing inside of you that you expected. And you'll wonder why your, your husband can't awaken this thing inside of you that, that, that you've longed for. And, and married people, hear me. There is help. And there is healing for this. But it requires a lot of vulnerability. It requires a lot of intentionality. It is not easy. But there is hope, and there is healing. Now, now, single people, you can skip all that. You can skip all of it. And see, that's why I'm taking the time to talk to you about this today. Because making relational decisions now, right, the way that God intends always, 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 always protects you, and it always protects your future spouse as well. Then the Apostle Paul, he goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. The very first time that sex is mentioned in the scripture to substantiate everything he just says. And he says this, for it is said, right, as in Moses wrote what God spoke, right? For it is said that the two will become, right, here's our intimacy word, one flesh, and I get it. I get it, right? For some of you, for a lot of you, for a lot of us, this is brand new. Right? And, and some of you are sitting there, some of you are watching this right now, and you're thinking, okay, so what about, and what about, and what about? Um, and, and listen, I, I, I am not smart enough to be able to answer all of your questions, but here's what I think all of us know in our hearts, right? 
sex is not simply physical. There is something more. And the one who knows what's more is your heavenly father who said through Moses and who said through Jesus and who said through the apostle Paul, don't miss this, what no ordinary man would ever dare say and especially commit to writing. That sex is not just physical. It is connected to your soul and to your personhood as much as anything else imaginable. And then the Apostle Paul goes on and he says something now specifically to those of us who are followers of Jesus. In other words, he's saying, listen, everything I just told you actually applies to everyone. Whether or not you follow Jesus or you believe in Jesus or not, it applies to everybody because everybody is created in the image of God. But for those of you who actually follow Jesus and would call Jesus your Lord and your Savior, he says this, do you not know? Right? Because they didn't know this either. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? To which they thought, okay, no, I didn't actually know that. Because, see, listen, I thought my body was my body and I thought God lived in heaven. I thought my body was my body and I could do whatever I wanted to with my body. And then I come to church on Sunday and I ask forgiveness and I go out and I do with my body whatever I want to again. And the Apostle Paul says, no, 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 no. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, he says, listen, you're inhabited by. Like, your body is inhabited by the Holy Spirit, right? And and who is in you, right? Who is in you and whom you have received from God. Do not miss this, right? This is so brilliant. He shifts from consequence to identity. He he makes this huge shift in the conversation and he moves away from consequence and he moves to talking about your identity and who you are and who we are. And he explains, okay, each of you, each one of you are actually created for a unique relationship with your heavenly father and every single one of you are created to become one with one. And the Holy Spirit of God resides in you. And, And do you know why that's such a big deal? Listen. Because the value of a container is always determined based on what it contains. And you contain the Holy Spirit of God. You contain the Holy Spirit of God. You are not your own, the Apostle Paul says. You were bought at a price. And that price is literally the life of Jesus. And so your body is not your body, he says. Because all of you, all of you actually belongs to your heavenly father because you have been bought, you have been purchased, you've been redeemed at a price. And you are literally priceless. Not because of what you've done, not because of what you haven't done. But simply because you are made in the image of God and the Holy Spirit of God resides. He lives in you. You are priceless. And so here's his application. Here's his conclusion. Therefore, therefore. Because you're priceless, because you're incredibly valuable, honor God with your body. You want to know how how, how to manage your sex and your sexuality, the Apostle Paul says. You want to know um, what the the standard is when it comes to to sexual behavior? He, He says this, just honor God, right? Honor God with it. You ask God, okay, God, how best is a single person? God, how best as a married person? God, how best as a person who's just been through a tough divorce or a tough breakup? God, how best as a person who lives in a culture and a world right, that is completely surrounded by people who just don't understand or who just do not believe this? How best, God, do I honor you? 
with my body and specifically with my sexuality and with my sexual behavior. Now, listen, I understand that this teaching, right, this teaching runs up against some pretty widely held, right, and, and deeply held um, cultural beliefs. Uh, and so I, as we wrap up together today, I just want to um, deal with, with two more of these myths, right, two more of these myths that, are, that kind of permeate our, our culture. Uh, and the first is simply this. It's this whole, right, okay, Joe, that's, you know, good for you, right, good for, good for you, um, not good for me, right, not good for me. It's good for church people, it's not good for me. Joe, it's good for you, it's not good for me. But I, I get that, I understand that, but see, here's the myth, right, Here, here's the myth, um, that sex and sexual behavior is a preference, right, it, that's the myth. Well, let me give you something to think about. It's not really a, a preference, it's not really a preference, and, and here's how you know it's not a preference, um, because there's actually a predictable outcome, right? There's a predictable outcome. The consequences are actually predictable, right? Um, if it wasn't a preference, if it was a preference, there'd be no outcome. There'd be no consequence. It would be like art, right? You like one kind of art, I like another kind of art. You like one kind of music, I, I like another kind of music, right? There's no outcome. There's no, there's no consequence, Right? The, the truth is, sex and sexual behavior is, is more like, um, it's more like nutrition. Right? It's more like nutrition. You may prefer to eat fatty foods and, and carbs and a lot of sugar, right? And there's a predictable outcome with that. Or you, you might like to eat um, fruits and vegetables and less carbs and less sugar, and there's a predictable outcome associated with that as well. You might prefer one or the other, but the outcome is predictable because of design. Right, because of design. So here's what I want you to understand. Sex and sexuality really is not just a matter of preference. It is, however, a matter of divine design because God made it. And God made it to work uh, a certain way. And that's why there's consequences. Now, here's the last myth I, I want to talk about, which is, uh, again, real quick, this idea um, that practice makes perfect. Right? Practice makes perfect. Like, the, the more sexual partners you have, the more practice you have, and the better sex is going to be. Like, so one day on your wedding day, what's going to happen is you're going to stand, you're going to look in each other's eyes, and, and you're going to say, oh, this is, I'm so glad you, you practiced, right? I'm so glad you practiced, right? Are you kidding me right now? Listen, this is the truth that nobody wants to talk about in our culture or in our world, okay? Single people, this is huge, Okay? Don't miss this. Romance and passion, especially in marriage, is fueled by exclusivity, right? Listen, if you want to learn to play the violin someday, you need to practice. That's true. But here's the thing. You're going to be able to figure out sex without a single lesson. Okay, I promise. Romance and passion, especially long-term, especially in marriage, is always fueled by exclusivity, right? You know what exclusivity is? Exclusivity is, listen, I only have eyes for you, right? I only have eyes for, for you. I have waited for you, and, and you and me, we're going to figure this out together, right? That's what exclusivity is. Exclusivity is I'm giving all of me to all of you. That's what fuels romance and passion in marriage, not a skill set, not practice, and not, not experience. And I'm telling you, listen, 
the whole idea that you need practice, right, is just such a lie, okay? Because on the other side of I do, all that does is give you something to compare your spouse to. And I promise you, that is not an advantage. Romance is always, 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 always fueled by exclusivity. And because this is true, right, what would you expect your Heavenly Father to actually say to you about sex and, and sexual behavior and sexuality? Right, and again, I, I get it. I understand that a message like this ends up in a whole bunch of different places, right? There's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of regret. There's a lot of I wish, I wish, I wish. Okay, so here's, here's how I want to end our time together today. Single people. I'm going to give you two things to do. Two, two ways to apply everything we're talking about today, um, and especially how we're wrapping up our, our time together this morning. Um, the first is this. Um, I, I want you to decide on the story that you want to tell someday. Okay, this is number one. Decide on the story you want to tell someday. And I strongly, strongly, strongly urge you to start living in such a way that you can tell that story. Because, see, here's what I know about every single one of you who is single, who's watching or here right now. At some point, when you find someone that you want to marry someday, you're going to have a story to tell. Right? And so I strongly suggest that you decide on what story you, you want to tell. And if you're sitting here with a bunch of regret and a bunch of guilt and a bunch of shame, let me help you write a great story. There is not a single person here or watching right now that cannot write a great story. Your past is irrelevant to you writing a great story because here's how your story can go. When I was in high school, when I was in college, listen, I fooled around a little bit. I didn't know any better. I didn't realize. And, and yeah, I had sex before we met. But see, one Sunday morning, I went to this crazy church. And there was this guy who was telling me stuff that I'd never heard before. And I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, something kind of welled up inside of me. And I didn't expect it because I wasn't there for that. But, but, but I realized all of a sudden, this is true. Right? This is true. And this is what God wants for me. And so that day... Right, that day, that day I decided that my story was going to be a different story. And so in spite of my past and in spite of my sin, in spite of my shame, in spite of my guilt, that day I decided I wanted to learn what it means to honor God with my body. And so from that day forward, as difficult as it was, as strange as it was, because I could never imagine doing this, but from that day forward, I've been waiting. I've been preparing for you. That is a great story. Because that is a story that is fueled by exclusivity and by devotion to your Heavenly Father. Right? Because listen, I get it. The only reason, the only reason that you would do any of what I'm talking about, right, is because of devotion to your Heavenly Father. And because you follow Jesus, and you actually trust that what your Heavenly Father says is best, is best. Second thing, you, you need to decide what honoring God with your body, what that actually looks like. Right, so you need a body budget. That's what this means. You know what a budget is? A body budget, right? So you need a budget. You need to decide what you're going to do with what you have before you do it. That's what a budget is, right? You take, look at what you've got. You decide what you're going to do with what you've got before you go do it. You pre-decide. So you need a body budget. You, you need to pre-decide how you're going to spend your body. 
what you will or will not do with your body. I'm going to spend my body on this. I'm not going to spend my body uh, on, on that. You need to decide that ahead of time. And I'm telling you, listen, um, when you set sexual and moral standards, every time you apply those standards, please hear me, you are investing in a future relationship. You're investing in your future relationship. Every time you say no now, right, you are saying yes to your future. Every time you feel like you're making a sacrifice now, and you are, you are, you are saying yes to your future. And the pain of sacrifice is always less than the pain of regret. Always. Always. And when you value what your heavenly father values, listen, you are always investing in your own future and your future relationships as well. And I just so badly, badly, badly want that for all of you. Once again, I got three questions for you. I'd love for you to talk about these questions honestly in a small group, maybe with some close friends, but at the very least for you to think about these for yourself. If someone younger than you asked you for one piece of advice about sex, what would you say? Second, what does it look like in today's culture to actually flee from sexual immorality? And then finally, um, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20, one of the verses, two of the verses we looked at today, um, I want you to reread that verse and, and ask the question, okay, so how does this view of our bodies actually impact what we should do and believe when it comes to sex? Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, thank you that regardless of and in spite of and even instead of anything that we've done or have not done, that you love us, that your love for us is not based on what we do, it's not based on what we don't do, it's not based on any of those things. You just decide to love us because of who you are and because you've made each of us in your image. And Father, I pray for every single person that's here right now, every single person that's watching or listening to this right now um, and who so badly wants to begin a new story. That Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would speak to their heart right now and let them know that they can trust you. That this is true for them and not just for everybody else around them. And Holy Spirit, for all of us who are single or married, who need healing, who need hope, who look at our past and, and we just, we wish we would have, we wish we would have known of hurt and regret, because we all do. Holy Spirit, for those of us who feel like this is just overwhelming to us, would you just speak right now 
and remind each of us that we are loved, that we are cherished, that we are chosen. And just as we have done nothing to earn your love, there's actually nothing we could do to prevent your love either. And Jesus, our faith and our hope, all of that is in you. It's in you alone. Because Jesus, we know that you are the only one in this world and in our lives who will never, ever let us down and you will never, ever stop loving us, no matter what. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.